Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. We read from John's Gospel, chapter 6, beginning at verse 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. At that, the Jews argued among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Amen, amen, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like your fathers ate and died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. When they heard it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can listen to it? This is the gospel of our Lord, we pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Your fellow redeemed friends in Jesus Christ, who is the living bread from heaven. You've heard the phrase, you are what you eat, and that phrase, for obvious reasons, most often applies to food that you consume. I also think it, the principle found in that axiom applies in, in other areas of life as well, that, that what you do will have consequences in the end. For example, in school, as school's getting ready to start, and for some of you has started, if you don't study, if you don't do your homework, you're, you're going to fail. Uh, in regard to our physical health as well, you know, if, put it, put it bluntly, if you sit on your butt all day, eventually it's going to be hard to get up off your butt and do anything. It, it applies in the, the area of our worldview, you know, our opinions, the way we see the world and how we judge it, that we are what we eat in the sense that whatever media you consume, whether you're, you're watching Fox News or CNN or listening to the radio or, or reading the newspaper, you are formed by that. You are what you eat. The, the media you consume does shape you, even if we, we don't always recognize it. So we need to be careful of what exactly we are consuming. But today Jesus says that the most important place where you are what you eat holds true is, is in the spiritual realm. It, it applies to what you hold to be true, what you believe, what you trust for life. In that sense, you are what you eat. Our, our world is filled kind of like uh, Solomon. If you keep reading in chapter 9, he, he, he brings up the flip side. Not only is there Lady Wisdom inviting people to come and eat at her table, but there's also Folly, Lady Folly, inviting people to come. And there are all kinds of foods in our world that are calling out, inviting us to eat them. That's because our society is no different than any society in the past. We have this innate, desperate need to find something that will grant us life. We're so afraid of death that every culture, every society has always been looking for the, the proverbial fountain of youth, right? What are some of the, the fountains of youth, the places that people look to for prolonging and extending their life, trying to push off death? Well, obviously, there's, there's diet and exercise, right? Many 
fad diets and fad exercises that people hope will extend and enhance their lives and, and hopefully delay the onset of death. Uh, billions of dollars are spent every year on cosmetics and lotions and plastic surgeries and injections to give the impression, at least to others, that you aren't the slave to gravity and decay and age that, that we all are. On a global level, there are those who say that we can prolong our lives by becoming greener, by burning fewer fossil fuels, uh, and not only preserve our lives, but also preserve the life of the planet. And last but not least, and I, I know you're probably sick of hearing me talk about this, and I'm sick of talking about it myself, but it, it's the biggest issue that we and our children are facing on a day-to-day basis. People do look to masks and vaccines and all of the other protocols that have been put in place for life to prevent them from dying of COVID-19. And I'm not saying that any of these things are wrong in and of themselves. Some of them are very good, very beneficial. I'm not trying to make any type of a political statement or tell you what you should do in regard to those things. But let's just trace it out. With with all of those things that I just mentioned, if you play it out to the end, where where do they eventually lead you? Every day people who have truly treated their bodies as temples, following very strict diets and very strict exercise routines, die. They die every day. Um, you, can, you can maybe smooth out some of your wrinkles with lotions. Maybe you can prop up some of those sagging bits with plastic surgery, but you, you can't escape the fact of time. There's no escaping that. Uh, as far as global warming. Does anyone really believe that if we all just drive electric cars and turn the AC down, that we're going to be able to stop tornadoes and hurricanes and wildfires from killing people and destroying property? Does anyone really believe that? Masks and vaccines. Maybe they are effective in limiting the spread of the COVID-19 virus. Maybe they are. I don't know that I've seen any conclusive data on that. But consider the side effects, the other impacts of the very strict lockdowns and the, the mask wearing and all the other protocols put in place just to stop this one disease. Do masks and vaccines do anything for those who have fallen addicted to drugs and have died of overdoses during this this time of lockdowns and upheaval and uncertainty? Um, What about the the people who are are slowly killing themselves right now because they've they've been overeating, they've they've become obese, or they've become addicted to alcohol and they're slowly drinking themselves to death? What about all the people who have put off uh, regular cancer screenings and regular checkups uh, when are those people going to start dying? What, how do masks and vaccines stop them from dying? What about, especially the children, you feel bad for the children who have been so isolated, and psychologists say that, that depression is just through the roof, with, especially with teenagers, because they haven't been able to see their friends. What does a max, mask or a vaccine do to stop that suicide or stop that person from considering suicide? 
I'm not telling you what you should think about masks or vaccines. Think what you want about them. But it's undeniable that they do nothing. They do absolutely nothing to stop deaths caused by heart disease or cancer or depression or addiction. They don't do anything. So you trace all those things, all of those foods that people look to to bring them life, trace it to the end, and they all inevitably lead to death. As problematic as trusting those types of human things, those human inventions to prolong life is, that's not really what Jesus is talking about here. It's, it's related, but that's not really what he's driving at here. There's a few verses earlier where Jesus got to the heart of this issue here in John chapter 6. Remember, it began with him feeding the 5,000 men. And in the middle, in verses 27 and 28, he gets to the real heart of the issue. He says, uh, the, the people who he had fed chased him across the other side of the Sea of Galilee looking to score themselves another free lunch. And Jesus stopped them in their tracks and he said this, Do not continue to work for the food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life. And, and they, they picked up on that word work. And, and they said, what must we do? What should we do to carry out the works of God? So they understood, I think, better than we do in a superficial reading of this section of John 6, what Jesus was actually talking about. He wasn't just talking about giving them enough bread and fish to fill their bellies. He was talking about eternal life, and they understood that. They understood something that many people in our world forget today, maybe that we forget, that the here and now is not really about the here and now. It's about the hereafter. That how long we live in this world is not as important, not nearly as important as where we spend all of eternity. They got that. But they made a terrible mistake, a terrible misjudgment. They figured that, okay, Jesus, maybe you're powerful enough to give us a meal every once in a while. But they figured that the ability to secure food that would guarantee them eternal life was in their own hands. That they had to do something. We simply call that works righteousness. That something we do can please God so that we escape the the fires of hell that we deserve and earn the gift of eternal life. That's what Jesus is really dealing with here. That works righteousness versus the gospel. And, And that's what he's driving at when he says, Amen, amen, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. You do not have life in yourselves. That encompasses everything we've talked about already, right? The, the fact that you can follow a strict diet. You can, you can be very vigorous in your exercise routine. You can try all types of cosmetics and surgeries. You can, you can do so many things to try to preserve your life here on earth, and it won't do any good because we do not have life in ourselves. We do not have life that can escape from death. There's nothing we can do to please God and earn his gift of eternal life. And if you doubt that, just think about, think about how often you failed in the simplest of things, the simplest of you know, laws that we come up with to extend our lives here on this earth. How many diets have you started and then broken? How many exercise routines have you gotten into and then, well, fell off of? Um, How many of you have done what I just did here with this thing? I took it off my face and I put it on probably a a filthy surface here, thereby totally nullifying it, totally making it useless. How many times have have we done that? Um, 
what other areas? How many times have you failed to recycle just because it wasn't convenient? Or better yet, consider how many times you failed to fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Or how many times you failed to gladly hear and learn God's word. Or how many times you failed to obey the government when you don't agree with what they are commanding. Or how many times you failed to uphold the sanctity of marriage in your own marriage, or you failed to boldly proclaim that marriage is indeed, no matter what the Supreme Court says, between one man and one woman for life. How many times have you stolen time from your employer, or cut somebody's reputation down with your tongue, or coveted a car, or house, or spouse, or dog, or children that belong to your neighbor? We failed in all of those areas. And, and so Jesus ties it all up in a bow and he says, you don't have life in yourself. Whatever avenue you think is going to lead to life, whether it is a diet or an exercise or cosmetics or wearing a mask or getting a vaccine or trying to obey my Ten Commandments, you don't have the ability to do it. The law which God intended to bring life brings only death for sinners like you and me because from conception... All we have is death living inside us. From the first moment that we took our first breath, all we were doing was dying. And we are dying. With a message like that, is it any surprise how the disciples responded? This is a hard teaching. Who can listen to it? It is a hard teaching. I don't want to hear it any more than you do, that within my hands I possess No ability to escape the inevitable death that waits at the end of my life just like you don't have any power to. You can try as hard as you want. You can sweat as much as you want. You can work as hard as you want. Diet and exercise as much as you want. And it's not going to work. None of those avenues, none of those foods for life that are offered out here in our world actually lead to life. They only and always and inevitably lead to death. So why does Jesus tell us something so depressing? That all of the attempts that the world has made to find that mythical fountain of youth are failures so that we would crave, that we would seek out the one food that does bring eternal life. And Jesus says, tells us very clearly what that food is. He says, I am. That's, the, that's Yahweh from the Old Testament. That's, that's the divine name. So he's saying right here, God, I I am. I am God, and I am the living bread from heaven. Uh, It's an interesting phrase there, living bread. We don't usually talk about living bread. Now, it's certainly true that that bread, along with diet and exercise and all these other things we mentioned, they can certainly prolong and enhance and and hopefully delay death. Um, Certainly, they can do that, at least from our human perspective. But none of those things are living bread. None of them contain life within themselves. So, When we eat lunch today, that's going to prolong your life. Jesus is talking about bread that actually gives life. Now, for example, I could drive down to the cemetery at the end of Holsher here with a truckload of bread or even a truckload of vaccines. I ain't going to do any good for those rotting corpses there. But Jesus says, whoever eats this bread will live forever. This is bread. This is food that gives life even to the dead, even to those of us, all of us, who are dead in our sin. That's a pretty mighty claim that Jesus is making, that he, one man, can give life to the whole world. 
Where's, where's the clinical study backing this up? Where's the science, right? We like to follow the science today. I think Jesus sums up the science in, in one phrase. He says, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. My flesh. What does that mean, his flesh? I think he's basically, in one word, encapsulating the second article of the Apostles' Creed. When he says, I am God, come down from heaven, conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, he's saying, I had eternal life coursing through my veins. Life itself was within me. Even when I was suffering under Pontius Pilate, when I was crucified, died and buried, eternal life was still living in me. Life, immortal life that no one could rob from me was still in me. And the proof, the science of it, this is resurrection from the dead three days later. There's, there's the, the clinical study that proves that Jesus is the one food that, that can truly grant eternal life. And He did that all for you. He said He, he gave up His flesh for the life of the world. The, the Holy Son of God who didn't, you know, kind of like Moses, Moses didn't need to leave the, the cushy life in Pharaoh's house. Jesus didn't need to leave His perfect life in heaven. But He did for us. He did to take our mortality on Himself so that we might have immortality, to, to suffer the punishment for our sins so that we could stand before God sinless. To take the, the suffering, the wrath of God, the judgment that we deserved, and to eat that Himself, to drink that cup down to its dregs so that we never would have to. And then He makes this promise to all who believe that, believe those facts about His life, Whoever eats of me will live forever. Will live forever. This is real life. You know, those of us, when we're trying to kind of ignore the elephant in the room of death that's waiting for each of us, maybe even today, we, we come up with these silly things like, um, you're only as old as you think you are, or as old as you feel. Right. Okay. Uh, 60's the new 30. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you can live in defiance of age. Age doesn't define you. Well, I guess in some respects, but in others, Moses' claim in the psalm of we live to 70 or 80 years holds true for most of us. There are a few of us that, that go beyond that. We try to ignore that fact, but this is not the kind of life that Jesus came to give us. Jesus came to, came to give us real life. It's not, it's not thinking in your mind, oh, I'm still 25. This is living at 25 forever. This is the kind of eternal life that he's talking about. This isn't the kind of life that you have to achieve by sweating through workouts five days a week trying to shed a few pounds. This isn't the kind of life that you have to achieve by, by denying yourself that second helping of dessert. This is, as Solomon described in, in Proverbs 9, this is sitting down, relaxing at a banquet, and stuffing yourself with the food of eternal life, with the true wisdom that comes from the Son of God himself. This is real life, real food that gives real life. Jesus' real body, Jesus' real blood that gives real life. It sounds like a good meal, right? It sounds like better than any of the other foods out there that that claim to offer life but just can't keep up their end of the bargain. Now, how do you get it? I think Jesus is using food here very specifically because he says you, you eat it. You eat it. And I know our minds automatically go, as good sacramental Lutherans, our minds go immediately to, well, he must be talking about the Lord's Supper. 
He's not. Now, if, if you're willing to give me another 20 minutes, I could explain um, why that is, why that Lu- it is that Lutherans have confessed that Jesus can't be directly talking about the Lord's Supper here. But because I don't have that additional 20 minutes, um, I put a little summary on the backside of your bulletin that you can look at that, that gives the reasons why we believe that Jesus can't be confessing, uh, talking about the Lord's Supper here. The main reason is, is this. Jesus makes it very clear in this section that you must eat and drink his body and blood to have eternal life. Apart from it, you don't have it. Now, if he's talking about the Lord's Supper here, that's a problem, isn't it? Our children haven't received the Lord's Supper. All the Old Testament believers didn't receive the Lord's Supper. The thief on the cross didn't receive the Lord's Supper. And yet they went to heaven. So, that's just one. There are four or three more on the back side of your bulletin. Ask me if you have any questions. John chapter 6 is not about the Lord's Supper directly. But it is certainly about Jesus' body and blood and the necessity of eating it, consuming it, digesting it. It's interesting the word he uses, a Greek word. He doesn't use the typical word phagain, which is, you know, your what's usually described for polite eating, you know, people eating dinner, like normal. He uses a word that originally applied to animals, to gnawing on something, to munching, you know, a starving dog and you throw him a bone. That, that dog is going to consume that bone, right? Try, and even the word itself, uh, trogon, trogon. Doesn't that sound like you're, you're chowing down on something? And, and he's using that intentionally to describe how we must Receive him. And it's not this dainty little, you know, eating with a little salad fork, uh, one piece of lettuce at a time. He wants us to consume him, to digest him, to not just have in our heads the facts of the Apostles' Creed, but to rather make them our own, to say that his life was for me. His life is what gives me life. To, to as Luther says in one of his prayers, to inwardly digest those truths. That the man, the flesh and blood man, Jesus Christ, is the Son of God from heaven and the only Savior for sinners like us. To eat that food, to to care more about consuming that and feeding on these gospel truths than you care about anything else, than you care about your vaccine or your mask or your diet or your exercise or anything else, to, to focus most intensely on this because this is the food, the only food that grants life. And it was this very thing that, that caused the Jews such a problem. They said, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They didn't, they couldn't connect that the man standing in front of them, the man that, that they knew his, his mother and his father and, and some of them had known growing up, could really do what he said he could do, that he really was a savior for sinners, the one who had eternal life in his flesh. And you notice that Jesus doesn't back off. He doesn't perform another miracle to say, here, now there's proof, now you should believe in me. He doesn't appeal to their reason. He just keeps going, doesn't he? He piles promise on top of promise. He preaches the simple gospel to them. He says, the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. The one who eats this bread will live forever. I challenge you.
to find any diet, any exercise routine, any vaccine, any mask that can make that guarantee. Feed on these promises. Chew on them. Digest them. Make them a part of yourself because these are the words. This is the word made flesh that grants eternal life. So what are you eating? There are all sorts of different things out there that want you to eat them, to believe in them, to trust them for life. Sadly, most of those things can be summarized the same way Jesus summarized that stuff that the forefathers, the Israelite forefathers, ate in the wilderness, that manna, right? Jesus said, they all ate the manna. They had all you could eat manna every day for 40 years, and they died. That's how you should think of anything that lies within our power, anything this world can offer to really give us life. It won't give you life. It will only give you death. It's a stunning contrast then when Jesus says, but I am the bread of life and whoever eats of me will live forever. Pay attention to what you're eating because today and forever, you are what you eat. Amen.